Thanks so much for tuning into 7IM Church's podcast. We are so glad you are here. To connect with us, you can head over to 7imchurch.com slash connect, and we'd love to hear from you. We also post regularly on Facebook at 7IM Church, and we live stream all of our services Sunday morning at 10 a.m. on Facebook and YouTube. We believe that God is moving in our midst, and we are so humbled and excited to be a part. Thank you for listening to today's message. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Y'all, I have not ran that fast in a long time. I'm still out of breath. I, uh, I love to have fun. I think it's important that as a church, we realize that we weren't just called and created to show up to a building on a Sunday morning, sit there with our legs crossed and our arms folded and make absolutely no noise. So if you don't like passion, if you don't like fun, then maybe this isn't the church for you. I'm just saying. But we're going to have fun up in here, and uh, we're going to ask God to move. How many of y'all enjoyed the uh, Fear of God series? Did anyone like that? And, and I'm not asking because I want any praise or recognition. I'm asking because I truly believe God spoke. He moved and uh, transformed lives. If you were here last week, we had a, a really awesome experience with the Holy Spirit. And I just want to speak and I just kind of want to shepherd our people through a moment because some of you guys have probably never seen that before. Some of y'all have probably never witnessed it before, but we had a young lady and uh, she'd been struggling with depression and anxiety. And through prayer, the Holy Spirit told me that there was somebody in the room wearing a helmet. And so I, I kind of took a step of faith. I didn't have any of this planned. I really just wanted to have a fun Sunday and throw a party. That was the goal. But uh, I love when God interrupts his plans because he has a purpose. And he showed up, and this young lady came forward. We anointed her with oil. We began to pray over her, and she fell out in the spirit. And some people were like, what's going on? Like, I'm just saying, y'all, I want you to know this was happening everywhere in the book of Acts when the first church began. And these miracles, these signs and wonders, these things were natural. I, I was reminded this week in, in prayer and study that after Jesus had died, he was resurrected and he ascended, Peter was in prison. And at one point, the group was gathering to pray, and they were gathering to pray that Peter would be released from prison. Well, then all of a sudden, a knock on the door takes place. And Peter's standing right there. And here's what I want you to see. The supernatural was so common in the early church that it was easier for them to believe that it was an angel standing at their door than it was actually Peter set free from prison. Like, just think about that for a moment. It was easier for them to believe that a presence of the Holy Spirit in the form of an angel was with them than it was for them to believe that Peter had been released from prison. I'm just saying, y'all, when we start to believe and expect the supernatural more than we see the natural, we will begin to see things change. And I'm not just interested in building a church. I'm interested in seeking his presence. And so I'm praying and I'm believing that we're going to see God manifest in more ways and we're going to continue to see signs and wonders. We're going to continue to see miracles, but not just in this building on a Sunday. I'm believing that as you guys go throughout your week, you're going to see people and you're going to have a word from God and you're going to go up and you're going to speak and you're going to prophesy and you're going to lay hands and they're going to be delivered. They're going to be healed. They're going to be restored. They're going to be redeemed in that moment. Because there's nothing special about me 
There's nothing special about these hands. The only thing special is the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We all have that power. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to preach a message that I'm just saying, y'all, I woke up last Monday on fire and I was ready for more. And I said, God, what do you want to speak to these people? And I just kept hearing these words, make room, make room, make room. How much of your life has room for God to move? And I'm just going to be honest, I felt like my answer was very little because we're so busy. We have schedules and we have agendas and we've got to get kids from here to there. We've got to do this for work and we've got to make these people happy. And it's like, I, do I have enough room for him to move? I've heard it said before. I, I've been in gatherings and circles before where somebody's gotten up and they, they, we were at a pastor's retreat and they said, pastors. I want you to remember the most important thing that can happen in God's church is the preaching of his word. And we all said, amen. And then I went back to my hotel room and I started thinking about that statement. And I go, well, does the preaching of the word matter if nobody responds? So I would adjust that statement to say, yes, the preaching of the word is important. But can I tell you the most important part of church? is our response to the preaching of God's word. We can show up and we can hear the word. We can show up and we can watch Holy Spirit move. But if we personally do not choose to respond, then nothing will change. A church can actually be a Bible-believing church with a pastor who preaches the truth of God's word and it fall on deaf ears and lame people and absolutely nothing will happen. And I actually believe this is why the church has been so ineffective for so many years because we thought it was all about consumerism and what we could get out of church. And we have our ideas and we have our agendas about what we want our church experience to be like. And we stopped responding to his word. Like I'm just saying, y'all, I would much rather build a church of a bunch of lost people than a church of a bunch of saved people. You want to know why? Because the saved people like to tell me how to do church. The lost people just want Jesus. I, I just want Jesus. I, I just want to make room for him to move. And so we're going to jump between a few different stories in God's word today. We're going to start in 2 Kings. And I want to give some context here because there's a conversation about to take place between a husband and a wife. But at this time, there's this man that God is rising up. His name is Elisha. Now, y'all remember Elijah, right? Now, this was Elisha. Elisha was his, like, mentee. Elijah was training him, showing him the robes, teaching him how to do things in God's way. And uh, Elisha has now grown up, and he's now become a man of God. He's traveled. Miracles are breaking out everywhere that he's going. Just before we're about to read in verse 8... Elisha is the one that tells the woman with the oil, hey, go gather all your vessels, get them together and begin pouring. And as you pour, God's going to continue to multiply that oil. And he multiplies the oil until what? The vessels stop coming and then the oil stops flowing. And I love that story because it reminds me that if I don't have room, if I don't have enough vessels, then the presence of God is going to stop pouring out on me. So how do I make room? But I want to focus on what happens next. Because it says, one day Elisha, we're in verse 8 of 2 Kings 4. One day Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. 
So this woman recognizes this man of God, sees the power of God on his life, and she begins to ask him, hey, why don't you join us for food? Why don't you join us for fellowship whenever you pass by? But then look at this, because it wasn't just enough for her to sit and eat with this man. She wanted more. So she goes to her husband. She says, behold now. There it is behind me. I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing by. Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God continually passing by. And then verse 10, it's not behind me, but it says, Let us make room with a roof, with walls, and put for them a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. So whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. Let me just say that as simply and as short and brief as I possibly can. She went to her husband and she said, Let us make room. It's not enough to just eat with him. Let us make room. Let us make room for this man. And what's amazing about Elisha is it was said that wherever he would travel, people would notice the anointing of God on his life. So I see this as Elisha is almost representative of the Holy Spirit or the power of God. And so the question that I have for you, have you made a room for him? And what I love about this is they did not wait Until the man of God said, hey, do you have any room for me to build a room? Because in our human mind, what we like to do is we like to wait for God to show up. We like to wait for God to give us a sign before we're actually willing to make a room for him. But this woman, before anything is said, she goes to her husband and says, can we make a room for him? And I'm not going to read the story because there's so much more that God wants to say. But what's interesting is if you keep reading throughout your, your time this week in 2 King chapter 4, there's actually a moment when this husband and wife's son dies. And what's amazing is because Elisha had a room in the house, he was readily available to perform the miracle and raise him from the dead. But far too often we wait until we're in a time of crisis to try and make room for God. And it's like, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? Why am I going through hell? What is going on? How do I get over this? And he says, I had no room. And I'm just saying it's a lot easier to make room for God when your life is good than make room for him in the middle of a crisis and expect him to move. So are you going to make Room. What's interesting about this is it says that Elisha was just passing by. And when I read that, I kind of stumbled on it and I thought, what, what is God trying to say here? Like, why was he passing by? What was so important that he was doing? And then I started to look up how many other times was God just passing by? And I was taken to three different instances in the New Testament. Luke 18, 37. We can see the verse behind me. This is the story, and we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more, but this is the story where blind Bartimaeus is healed. But before the healing takes place, listen to these words. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this had meant. The man was blind, so he heard everything, and he started asking people, what's going on? Why is, there, why is there this crowd? Why is there all this noise? And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is, here's those words again, passing by. All right, remember, Elisha was passing by. Jesus is passing by. Luke 19.1. Y'all know the story of Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little... 
Alright, it's good to know I'm the only Christian in the room. Awesome. But uh, this is the story of Zacchaeus. But before Zacchaeus, the story unfolds. Read this. He entered Jerusalem, Jericho. This is Jesus. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. So in 2 Kings 4, we see Elisha passing by. In Luke 18, 37, we see Jesus passing by. In Luke 19, 1, we see Jesus passing through. And then there's this story of the disciples, and they're on a boat in Mark 6, 48. And there's the storm crashing all around them. And y'all, I'm just saying this right here blew my mind. Okay, read, just, just hang on for a minute. Because I've preached this message before of the disciples being on the boat, Jesus coming to them, walking on the water. But like I said, the word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And as we read it, it reads us. And I saw something in this story that totally rocked my world. Because I thought that Jesus walked on the water to go to the disciples. But then I read the word of God. He came to them walking on the sea he meant to pass by them. What? Like I thought he went to, it says he meant to pass by them. So what does this tell me? Why am I, I sharing these verses? You see, it's not enough for God to just show up and pass us by. And yet, that's what a lot of us look for in a church. We want to show up. We want to say God moved. We want to let his word pass us by. And then we go home unchanged. But when I read all of these instances, it was not enough for him to just pass by. I got this picture when I was preparing this message of a river. And I was taken back into the early time of creation in Genesis 1. And the word of God said the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters. Or other translations would say the Holy Spirit was moving upon the face of the waters. And I just got this picture of a child sitting by a stream or a river or some sort of body of water that was moving. And he's just admiring it. As the waves are crashing and the water's moving and I thought about this thought. He can only get so much of the experience of the river just sitting there. But at some point, if he wants to experience all of it, he's got to jump in. He's got to get in the water. And I just felt like, church, that there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people who call themselves Christians. That they get a part of the experience of watching the Holy Spirit move in a church, watching God's blessing pour out on a family that they know, watching miracles happen all around them, and they think that that's enough of an experience, but I'm telling you, you're missing some of it until you're willing to go all in, until you're willing to make room for him, until you're willing to just jump in the water. Here's the first thing I want us to see today. Need does not obligate God to do a miracle. Need does not obligate God to do a miracle. So what does stop him? What does keep him from making us pass by? Desperation and passion. 
And I'm just saying, y'all, that's why I'm passionate about what we do. That's why I'm passionate in worship. That's why everything that I do, I feel like we should do with passion because I truly believe that it will stop God, cause him to pause and visit with us. And all of these instances, Elisha and Jesus in the Gospels, they were simply just passing by. But there was a moment when desperation and passion cried out in somebody that caused him to stop. That guy Zacchaeus, right? We know the story. I've preached the story. Zacchaeus came to see Jesus and there were so many people surrounding him. And the Bible tells us he was a short man. Now, we don't know how short, but he was short enough that he couldn't see over the crowds. And he wanted to see Jesus. But what he didn't do was he didn't come face to face with the realization of the natural that he wasn't going to be able to see Jesus. He realized that if he had enough desperation and enough passion that he was going to find a way to see him. And as we read that story, we know that he found a tree. And, and this man was a grown man. He was a tax collector. And grown men don't climb trees. But desperation caused him to do something stupid and crazy. Caused him to go out on a limb. Dunnutch. Alright, whatever. To try and see the man named Jesus. You know what he realized? Here's the realization he came to. The answer I'm looking for is not in me. The answer is in the tree. And he climbed that tree. And when he got up in that tree, guess what happened? He saw Jesus. But he didn't just see Jesus. Jesus saw him. Jesus saw him and said, hey, Zacchaeus, why don't you climb down from there? Because I am going to your house today. And I'm here to tell the church that if you're looking for a miracle, if you're looking for provision, if you're looking for blessing, if you're looking for protection, the answer is not in me. The answer is in the tree. And this story is symbolic of a tree called Calvary. And it was on that tree that Jesus gave his life. It was on that tree where you can find victory. It was on that tree where you can find redemption. And I'm telling y'all, when we climb on that tree, what God says to us is he says, son, daughter, guess what? Depression, it's not going home with you. I'm going home with you. Sickness, it's not going home with you. I'm going home with you. I am going to join you in your house today. That is what happens when we make room for a miracle. Is the church just a little bit excited about that? Come on. I'm preaching up here, but y'all ain't responding. Woo! Zacchaeus climbed a tree in desperation, and it was Jesus that went home with him. I'm telling y'all, if we would climb trees of desperation in our life, if we would realize that our need does not obligate God to do a miracle, and I think it's so interesting because some would argue and they'd say, well, preacher, pastor, God knows that I have a need. Yes, he knows that you have a need, but guess what? I've had needs in my life, and I've got this thing called free will that God gave me out of his love, but you know what I did? I ran the, to the world to try and find things to satisfy my needs, to try and heal me when I needed them, but what God wants is he says, son, daughter, I know you have a need, but I want you to recognize that you you can't find the answer for your need and anything the world has to satisfy. But I want you to come to me with your need. I want you to cry out to me for your healing. And when you do that, it says, son, daughter, your faith has healed you. Your faith has made 
you well. In Luke 18, that story of blind Bartimaeus, y'all remember that? The crowd was telling him. They were making noise, and he says, whoa, 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 what's going on? They said, oh, Jesus is just passing by. He intended to pass him by. Did Bartimaeus have a need? Yes. Did he want a miracle? Yes. But his need alone did not obligate Jesus to stop and perform a miracle. Guess what he did? He raised his voice. Jesus! Jesus! And guess what the crowd did? Dude, shut up. What are you getting all excited about? What are you making all this noise for? And what did he do? He began to cry out even louder. Jesus! Jesus! Desperation and passion caused him to cry out in his voice. And I'm just saying, y'all, blind Bartimaeus got a miracle for crying out loud. That's why I don't want a silent church. That's why I'm not going to tell you to sit down and shut up. If you're in need of a miracle and we're worshiping and you need to run to the altar and you need to throw yourself at the foot of the cross, I ain't going to stop you because I'm not going to be the crowd. I'm going to grab you by the hand and I'm going to cry out with you, Jesus! Jesus! You might be one hallelujah away from a miracle. But what happens is we cry out and we cry out and we don't see the miracle. And we listen to the haters. And we listen to our friends. And I'm just saying, y'all, if there's any part of your life that is interrupting your opportunity to live in the fullness of life, it was not a blessing from God. Like I'm just saying, y'all, I, I, I've heard it. I've been the recipient of it. I, I've prayed for miracles, and you want to know what some people have told me in the church? Oh, buddy, you just got to learn to live with it. God made you that way. Bull crap, he didn't. He didn't want me to be blind. He didn't want me to be depressed. He didn't want me to live with medication for the rest of my life. He wanted me to walk around redeemed, restored, and completely healed in Jesus' name. So I'm not declaring that over my life. And I want to break that spirit off anybody in this room today that you've been told by somebody that your sickness was a blessing. Now I'm telling y'all, God can use what the enemy meant for evil for good, yes. But he also created you to live in wholeness and completeness. And I'm not telling you how long that sickness will be. I was born blind in my left eye for those that don't know. I'm 27 years old and I'm telling y'all, I walk around every single day believing that one day I will be fully healed and receive complete vision in my eye. It might not be on this side of eternity, but guess what? I know when I enter heaven's gates, it will be. So I know that a miracle is coming. I'm expectant for that miracle. And I'm not going to listen to the world try and tell me that my God made me with a defect, with something that is not the fullness of life that I was created to live in. Because I was made in his image, and guess what? His image is perfect. So there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can change. There's nothing that I will try to do to manipulate my body. But I'm telling you, God made me the way he made me. And yes, we live in a fallen world. So sickness and disease and all these things are going to attack us. But he made us to walk and live in the fullness of life. And if we walk with that kind of faith, things will begin to change. 
things will begin to erupt. You might be one hallelujah away from a miracle. In every case, Jesus was going somewhere else, but he was stopped by somebody who cried out, we need a miracle. I love the story of the disciples. I mentioned the verse in Mark 6, 48, where the disciples are out on a boat and they're toiling in the water. They're fighting and they're fighting and they're struggling in this storm. And the Bible says that Jesus is on the shore and he's standing there. And it says that from a long way off, Jesus saw the disciples in the boat. But what it doesn't say is it doesn't say the disciples saw him. So here's what I want to tell you. When you can't see Jesus because of the storm you're in, know that Jesus can still see you. When those waves are crashing, when the news is too hard to bear, here's what I want to tell you. You're never in a valley so deep that Jesus can't see you. You're never in a trial so great that Jesus can't see you. You might feel overwhelmed and combated by the storm, but Jesus sees you. And here's the amazing thing. The disciples were in the boat. They were fighting against the what? The water. What does the Bible say? Jesus came to them walking on the water. What is God saying? He says, hey, whatever it is that you're warring against, Jesus is going to come to you walking on it. What that tells me is that everything that I'm fighting is beneath his feet. Everything that I might be struggling with is beneath his feet. And the power and the name that is above every other name is also the name that's above every situation, the name that's above every disease, the name above every complication, and the name above every struggle, every storm. And his name is Jesus, and God is actually going to use you and that struggle to be the vessel to come find you, and he's going to walk to you on it. And he says, son, daughter, what you're warring against, I'm already walking on. What you're worried about, I'm going to use that to bring you the victory. He is the miracle worker, but does he have the room to perform the miracle? I said need does not obligate God to do a miracle. The obvious does not obligate God to do a miracle. Now, this is kind of an interesting thought when you think about it. Because you, you could have that argument, well, God's all-knowing, God's omniscient, God's omnipresent. He, he knows, like, my, my need is obvious, my, my sickness is obvious, my depression is obvious. Why can't he just heal me? Well, guess what? The obvious does not obligate him to do a miracle. Isn't it interesting that throughout the New Testament, when Jesus shows up and a miracle occurs, more times than not, he asks the individual, what do they want? Blind Bartimaeus cries out to Jesus. His desperation and passion stop Jesus in his tracks. Jesus finds him, and what does he say? He says, son, what do you need? Like, is Jesus stupid? He's blind. It's a little obvious, bro. Like, like that would be like if I went to the mall, and I see some man walking around with the cane, blind, can't see anything, and he comes up to me and he says, hey, I need, I need a miracle. I, I know that the power of God's on your life. And I look at him and I say, what do you need, buddy? Like it's obvious, right? You, you would think the answer is obvious. But what Jesus is wanting is he doesn't just want the obvious to obligate him. 
He wants us to come to the recognition of what we truly need is what we need. Because oftentimes, what we'll find in our humanness is we actually go to God for what we want, not what we need. Like, I don't know if y'all have ever ran into anybody that lives on the street. And, and nine times out of ten, what are they asking for? Money. Can I tell you what they need? They need Jesus, yes. But sometimes we have to meet natural needs in order to create a vessel to introduce them to the supernatural. They don't need money. They need clothes. They need shoes on their feet. They need a lunch. They need a cold shower. They need love. They need somebody to look them in the eyes and say, your life has value. And when I say the obvious does not obligate God to do a miracle, because sometimes the obvious to God is not the obvious to us. So how does that relate to us? Well, maybe you're struggling with depression. And what you want is to be totally set free from depression. But sometimes what you need is you need to forgive somebody. Sometimes what you need is you need to love yourself more. Sometimes what you need is to find healing from that traumatic relationship in your past that left you crippled. Sometimes what we want is not the same thing that we need. And so the obvious does not obligate God. But when we go to him and we cry out to him, he wants to know exactly what our heart desires. He wants to know if we're truly ready to receive. He wants to know, do we have room for him? It wasn't just blind Bartimaeus where the answer was obvious. The disciples in the boat. Like I'm just saying, y'all, they were in a storm. Jesus saw them in the storm. Don't you think it would have been obvious to Jesus to go to the disciples and help them? But the word says he intended to pass them by. And it wasn't until somebody in the boat cried out to him. It wasn't until somebody raised their voice and said, hey, we need help. It wasn't until somebody began to make a little bit of noise that he stopped and the miracle happened. Faith is what moves the heart of God. This world, you can look around and there's a lot of need. And you can ask, well, why, isn't, why aren't miracles happening everywhere? Why aren't all these needs being met? And I truly believe it's because the church is not praying enough for the miracle to happen in those needs. Well, isn't it obvious that we need these things to happen? Yes, but God wants to hear it from us. He wants to know that we're all in, and he wants to know that we have room for him. The disciples cry out, and the Bible tells us that when Jesus comes to them walking on the water, he steps in the boat, and the wind ceases. The waves stop crashing. And I just, I, I read the Bible and I, I get these pictures. I, I like to illustrate what's happening in this moment. And y'all, I'm just saying like we read these things and sometimes we can take these stories for granted. Like, yeah, Jesus walked on water. Yeah, he stopped the winds and waves. Yeah, like it's everyday normal things. But then we, we struggle because we don't have money in the bank or we struggle because we're sick. And, and it's like, well, do you actually believe he stopped the winds and waves? Okay, well then do you believe he can heal you here? Like I don't want us to take some of these miracles for granted. And they're fighting 
and they're toiling. And I just picture it like, I don't know if y'all have ever been kayaking or canoeing or whitewater rafting and the current is tough and you're fighting and you're fighting and you're fighting. Like what would happen if somebody just turned off the switch? Like it might be, what is it? Newton's third law of motion, second law, sixth law. I don't know. Is anyone in the room smart? <laughs> the object in motion tends to stay in motion, whatever the heck that is. But y'all know what I'm saying when you're riding in the car and you're in the back seat and you're watching something on your phone or you're reading the paper and you're not paying attention and the driver slams on the brake and what happens? Whoa! Like, could you imagine being the disciples in the boat? They're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting, they're rowing, they're rowing, they're rowing. Jesus steps on and they're like, whoa! What happened? What happened to the waves? What happened to the wind? Oh, wait, Jesus showed up. And I'm just saying, y'all, when the church cries out in desperation and you can feel like you're fighting, you can feel like you're toiling, you can feel like you're giving it all you got, but then when Jesus shows up, we go, whoa! What happened to that sickness? What happened to that pain? What happened to my depression? Whoa, what happened in my family? Whoa, what happened in this community? Whoa, what's happened? The presence of Jesus is happening. And it will cause even the strongest storms to stop so abruptly that you fall a little bit forward and ask the question, what the heck just happened? And I'm just saying, y'all, I want to be a church where we see those things take place. When we make room for a miracle, that's what kind of questions we'll ask. So I want to ask you today, are you content with Jesus just passing you by? Or will you make room for him? Will you build a room of faith in your life? Will you build a room of faith in your heart? Or will you just let him pass by? Because what's amazing in the story of Zacchaeus is when you get up in that tree, guess what? Jesus can't ignore you. When you make so much noise and a cry of desperation, it stops the heart of God. But is there room in that heart? The Bible says our body's a temple. I don't know if you've ever been to any kind of temple, but there's a lot of rooms. And usually inside of a temple, there's at least one room, if not multiple rooms, that are saved for like the special people, that are saved for like the holy of holies. The, the, in the Old Testament, we actually see in these temples that there's a room built, a sanctuary of God's presence that the people could not enter because his presence was so strong. And if they did enter it, they would have a rope tied to their foot in case they dropped dead in the presence of God, they could drag the body out. Now we don't have that today because the New Testament broke the veil and gave us direct access to God the Father. So what is the temple now? The temple's our body. It's our life. And so my question for you, is there a room in your heart where his presence is dwelling the most? Or is it so consumed with everything else that the world has tried to fill you with that there's no room for God to move? I want to close with this story in Luke 8. You've probably heard this before. I'm going to read verses 43 through 48. 
verse uh, 44 and 45 are going to be on the screen behind me. But starting in verse 3, it says there was a, 43, there was a woman there who had a bleeding problem for 12 years. And though she spent all her livings on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. So what's taking place? This woman has a bleeding problem. She spent all of her money uh, on going to different doctors, seeking different medications, seeking different practices that could potentially heal her of this problem, and yet she was not healed by anyone. But then look at verse 44. It says, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. Jesus had been passing through crowds all around him. And this woman subject to bleeding for 12 years finds herself in this crowd, desperate to see Jesus, desperate for healing, desperate for a miracle. And you want to know what's amazing is culturally, she was not even supposed to be there because she was unclean. And so she was not to interact with anybody, touch anybody, let alone a priest or a prophet. And yet her desperation caused her to climb out of cultural norms to seek Jesus. And what I love about the kingdom of God and what I love about God's children is that we all, when we find a little desperation for Jesus, it doesn't matter what the culture will try and label us as or what the culture tells us we can and cannot do. Our desperation will cause us to run into his presence. And she touches just the fringe, just the hem of his garment. And the word of God says immediately the bleeding stopped. She'd spend all this money. She'd spend all this time. She'd spend all this energy. Guess what? She had a need. And she went to what the world was offering for her need and it did not work. There was an obvious need that she had. And the obvious did not obligate her healing to just happen. But it was her desperation to be in the presence of Jesus. And when she touched him, the bleeding stopped. And I don't want to just look at the miracle. I want to look at how Jesus responds. Because the Bible says Jesus stopped and said, Who was it that touched me? It says he stopped. He was passing by, but he stopped. And then they have this conversation trying to ask, and Peter's like, Jesus, there's hundreds of people around. How are we going to know? Everyone probably touched you at some point. And then in verse 46, Jesus says, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And then when the woman saw that she was not hidden... She came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. A few interesting takeaways here. Jesus stopped. He sought the one that was healed. But what I love about this is that when the woman realized that he was looking for her, it doesn't just say that the woman came to Jesus and said, hey, I'm the one that, I, that touched you. I'm the one that was healed. It says she said who she was. 
She mentioned, hey, this is why I touched you. I had a bleeding problem for this many years. She came to the recognition of her sin or her failure. She came to the thing that was holding her back. But she spoke that it was the name of Jesus that healed her and delivered her. And that's called a testimony. And I'm just saying, church, when we live and we speak, how we say things matters. And there's a whole world of lost people out there that they don't just want to hear that you've been delivered from Jesus. They want to hear about who you were before and what your life looks like now. But for some reason, shame and guilt keeps us all a little too quiet about our struggles. And we're willing to share our victories, but we're not willing to be open about our struggles. And then what happens when those lost people are in the middle of a struggle? They think Christians are perfect and they think they don't have any problems and they think you have to be perfect to come to Jesus. But what this woman said is, no, 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 I was unclean. I was unqualified. I was unworthy before. But in the presence of Jesus, I experienced the healing that changed me, the healing that transformed me. And that right there is telling everybody else around her, hey, I might have a problem. I might have a sickness. I might have a disease. I might have some secret sin. But I know when I get in the presence of Jesus and I just get a touch of him, it can change my life forever. If you don't hear anything else this morning, I want you to hear this statement. Because I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma this week, and I was driving home, and I had some music playing. And I was praying for you guys. I was praying for our church. And I was praying over this message. And the Lord, I actually didn't have this portion of scripture in the original message I wrote, but the Lord took me to Luke 8, and I started to read this again. And I started to think about what happens when God's at work in our lives. And here's what the Lord said to me. He said, Michael, when God touches us, it causes us to move. When we touch God, it causes him to stop. When God touches us, when he changes our life, when he heals us, when he transforms us, guess what? It causes us to move. It causes us to go tell the world. It causes us to share our testimony. It causes us to be bold with our faith. But when we touch God, it causes him to stop. In the Old Testament, there's a man named Joshua who was fighting a battle. And he wanted to see victory over the battle. And so he prayed. And he prayed. And guess what happened? The sun stopped. S-U-N. And I think it was a symbolic moment for the church in all time that when we pray and we're desperate and we're hungry for a miracle, that we won't just see the S-U-N stop. We will see the S-O-N, the sun that created the sun stop. Touch us, heal us, deliver us. This woman in 2 Kings, blind Bartimaeus, Zacchaeus, the disciples in the boat, and this woman who was subject to bleeding for 12 years all sought the Lord, made room for him, and caused the S-O-N to stand still. So I want to ask you right now, is there room for him? If you would, would you close your eyes, bow your heads? Are you in need of a miracle today? 
Do you need to reach out and touch the heart of God so he will stop and provide? So he will stop and heal. So he will stop and deliver. So he will stop and protect. So he will stop and comfort. What is it that you need him to do this morning? Is there room in your heart? Is there desperation in your life to truly seek the miracle that God wants to do? And so I want to pray, and I'm not going to ask anyone to move or come forward this morning, but I do want to just pause, and I want to make room for God to move. But I want to remind you this morning that the greatest miracle that could ever take place in anyone's life is the miracle of salvation. The miracle of salvation takes place when you begin to recognize that you were created on purpose, for a purpose, in the image of God. And that we live in a fallen world and we have sin in our life that separates us from the presence of God. And there's consequences of that sin and it's to live in a place of eternity called hell forever, separated from the presence of God forever. But God in his love and in his mercy and in his grace, he sent his son Jesus, his one and only son, to live a perfect sinless life that he who was no sin became sin. And he gave his life on a cross for you and for me. And it was on that cross where healing is found. It is on that cross where salvation is found. It is on that cross where we experience redemption, restoration. And it's on that cross where we can set our sin. And we can walk away a new creation. And we can become the man or woman that God has called us to be. The Bible says when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you shall be saved. And so when I ask this question in a minute, I want you to ask yourself, maybe there's a miracle that you need. But the bigger question you have to ask yourself is, do I need to experience the miracle of salvation? And if that's you this morning, I want you to know that your Father in heaven loves you just as you are. You don't have to change to follow him, but following him will change you. And it will be the best decision you could ever make. So with every eye closed, every head bowed. I want to ask you this morning, if you're in need of a miracle, would you just raise your hand? Or maybe just open your hands to heaven. As an act of surrender. God sees you. He sees those hands right now in this room. If you're in need of a miracle, a touch of heaven this morning... Y'all, I'm just saying there's something the Bible says that Jesus intended to pass by. But it was their action. It was the cry of their heart. It was the desperation that caused him to stop. Are you desperate for a miracle? I'm not asking you to get up and shout. I'm just asking you to simply raise your hands and surrender. As an act to say, Jesus, I need you. I need this miracle. And so there's hands all over this room. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that as your presence falls in this room, as your glory is manifested in this room, Lord, we cry out in desperation 
We cry out unworthy, but righteous before you. That we would see miracles take place in this room. We would see miracles take place in the homes of those that are crying for a miracle. God, I believe that you are moving in the hearts and lives of people in this room. Holy Spirit, I pray right now over the young lady that's believing for a miracle of childbirth to take place in her life. That that miracle would come to pass in Jesus' name. God, I'm praying right now for the individual who has his hand up that's believing for a miracle of provision in their home. That Holy Spirit, supernaturally, you would provide for them in ways that they can't even explain. And they would be like the disciples in the boat. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What just happened? Lord, I pray for anyone in this room that's asking for a miracle of redemption and restoration in a relationship between family members. That God, you are the ultimate redeemer. You are the ultimate restorer. And so God, I pray for the miracle of restoration right now. That a family united is a family that is strong. For your word says a house divided against itself cannot stand. So God, I pray unity in the home right now between husband and wife, between father and son, between mother and daughter. Redeem and restore. Jesus, we need you. Lord, I cry out, I myself included, but anybody in this room that has a physical impairment within their body that is keeping them from living the fullness of life that you created them to live with. I say eyes open in the name of Jesus. I say deaf ears open in the name of Jesus. I say cancer be gone in the name of Jesus. I pray miracles right now in Jesus' name we declare it. Holy Spirit, we believe it, we expect it. God, we cry out to you in faith that we need a miracle. Pain be gone in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, we rejoice. We give you praise, glory, and honor. We celebrate you all the days of our life. We declare in unity together this morning that this house, that this place of worship, will not only today, but will forever be a house of miracles because your presence always has room in this place. We love you, Lord. It's in your holy and precious name. The church said, amen. amen and amen. Come on, church, stand with me. I said the church said, amen.